Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in Hawaii. We speak with Degen Bernstein, a teacher and musician passionate about designing and leading innovative educational experiences. Degen is currently serving as capstone coordinator at an independent K-12 international boarding school in Hawaii with additional expertise in mathematics, music and digital media instructions. We speak about collaboration in the classroom and how this might be an inspiration for business people. And we talk intensively about the ukulele, how he is using this in teaching, some historical background, and we hear him play a tenor ukulele during the conversation, like he would do on the farmer's market in the weekend. So let's get into it. Hello, Dagan. Hello, and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. Aloha, Christoph. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, aloha. Very nice. So we're in Hawaii. You are or better. You're in Hawaii and I'm in the Netherlands. So great to talk to you. And we spoke in real life two months ago. So this was awesome. So yeah, so this is already a friendship <laughs> about music, music thinking and uh, and the ukulele. And that's what we what you will uh, talk, talk today. Um, but I start with my with my favorite question I ask my guests, and it's like, what's your first sonic experience or album or performance that had an impact on you? Yeah, I love this question, and you know, I do love your podcasts, and it's such a great way to um, kind of a window into a person. Um, you know, but for me, I when I think about my first sonic experience, I, I was kind of going back in my life and you know thinking about different you know, um, either concerts or, you know, hearing albums for the first time. And I just kept going back further and further and further to my childhood. And there's, there's one that really uh, sticks out for me. And it was, I mean, I probably was maybe six or seven years old. Um, and my dad is a huge, uh, blues and jazz music fan. Um, and when I was a kid, um, you know, he had a record player and he had like a separate room that was kind of his like, you know, room where he had his record player. And at night he would, you know, relax after dinner and listen to records. And um, there's an album by uh, it's a live B.B. King record live at the Regal Theater. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, kind of hearing some music and people talking and almost like a nightclub sound coming out of this room. Because if you listen to the the album, it's like, it's real live. It's like in the nightclub. And I just remember listening to this music coming out of this room and actually thinking that behind this door was like an actual nightclub or like that there was some secret room behind this door and there was people talking and chattering and, and guitar. And, you know, it was such a, it's such like a, distinct um musical experience from my childhood of when i actually 
you know, if you can imagine kind of behind this door, like if you just are hearing it without seeing it, you would think that there's an actual like musical concert happening in this room. Um, And so every time I listen to that album, um, which is a classic blues album, I am immediately transported back to this like time when I was, I must've been six or seven or eight years old at the time. Very uh, nice. Uh, also, the the imagination that you just mentioned. So something, and if the door opens, so a whole new world would open for you. But also interesting for audio because you all you already listen to the world without seeing it. So that's like a like a preview, funny preview, pre audio, which we should say. <laughs> yeah, oh, I like it. You know, you, do you know what songs were on that blues uh, album? Um. You know, not off the top of my head. Um, I mean, it's a pretty classic B.B. King record, uh, a mix of, you know, blues standards and some of his, yeah. you know, well-known repertoire. Um, but it's it was it's just the like that live energy of like music happening with people. And, you know, you can almost hear like you can hear the like the reaction of the audience when BB King really hits a guitar note or the energy shifts and um, just that kind of interaction between the the music and the audience and the people there who are experiencing the music is real distinct for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's really an experience. So you really feel something about uh, everything. So it doesn't matter how, how it's called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, again. But maybe just also start with uh, who are you and what do you do for a living? So the, so that the listener has an idea and then we will dive into the big world of a small instrument. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my name is Dagan Bernstein and I'm an educator based um, out here in, in Hawaii and on Hawaii Island. And I work at a an independent school here. It's a K through 12 school, meaning kindergarten through 12th grade. And I'm specifically, uh, we have two campuses, um, but I'm at the campus that is kindergarten through eighth grade. So, you know, five, six years old, all the way up to 13 or 14 years old. And I'm the coordinator of our capstone program. And what Capstone is, is a year-long project, that uh, independent project that every student does at this school in fifth and eighth grade. And so we have about uh, 20 fifth graders, um, which would be about 10 or 11 years old. Um, I don't know how that equates to the European school system. And about 40 eighth graders, which are about 13 and 14 years old. So there's 60 students total. Um, and I'm the coordinator of this program, and I work with uh, four other teachers who are capstone advisors um, for the students. And I kind of just oversee the program, um, kind of collaborate with um, the teachers to design the, the structure of the projects and to guide the students um, through the project experience and then manage the end of year kind of presentation um, that all the students do to our community on um, their project experience and their final um, product that they create in this project. So um, it's it's a really amazing um, like education and learning program that our school has. And I feel really um, blessed to be in this position to help support um, the students and the work they create. Um, this is my second year in this position, and previous to this, I've also been a, a mathematics teacher, 
Mm. Um, I was uh, also a uh, digital digital media teacher and music technology teacher, as well as I was the director of our ukulele ensemble for middle school as well for a number of years. Um, and I did that for over 10 years before I um, became a full-time educator um, because my, my kind of foot into the education world was through music. I um, was a, a music performer and I played in different groups um, as an ukulele player um, here here in Hawaii Island and in a you know a few different genres of music and that was you know that was kind of my life through my um, kind of mid-20s to my late 20s and then it was really um, about 10 years ago that I went uh, full-time into education. Mm, great yeah. so, so there's a music parallel and a professional parallel and uh, yeah as we know in that podcast they are intertwined <laughs> and sometimes you get hints from the other side when you're doing and you know, when you're on on one side interesting let's maybe first talk about the capstone and and put the push the ukulele a little bit uh to, to later so mm -hmm. these kids are in 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 a project for 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 one year what kind of projects uh, are they uh um, well, they're you know they're pretty varied. Um, we do we do this at the end of you know the way the school um, system structured here in America is you have um, one division that's we call elementary school that's kindergarten through fifth grade, and then we have a middle school division which is sixth through eighth grade, and that might vary a little by by school, but in general, you have the sixth through eighth grade, and then there's high school which is ninth through twelfth grade. Um, and so the way the, the program's designed is each student, they um, design a project that is of their own choosing that connects with our school. We have a sustainability model, hmm. um, which we call Malama Kaya'ulu, which in Hawaiian, you know, loosely translates to caring for your community. Mm. Um, and this is a, a school-wide sustainability like model that our school has aligned itself with. And each project does have to connect with this uh, Malama Kaya'ulu model. So the student is kind of tasked with combining an interest or an idea or a deep essential question with a community need. And then they... Um, you know, they design a, a product or an experience to address this community need. No, no. Um, yeah, so the, the, the projects are really varied, you know, yeah. by they're as different as each student. Um, some and could... I like that part. Is this Malamakayulu, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Kayaulu. Yeah, K-A-I-A-U-L-U, Kayaulu. And um, because it starts with empathy... So that's that's yes. that's that's interesting. So that, that's really something. Okay, these kids are, let's say, in the middle of something because we do, if you're 10 to 14 years, so the puberty starts, and I can imagine there's a lot going on in school. And interesting that they, yeah, that they should focus on on empathy, on on a, on a, on the principle. And is it only for you, your school, or is it? Um, because you say it's a Hawaiian principle, um, are are there uh, more examples of that principle over Hawaii? Um, of Malama Kaya'ulu? Yeah. 
Yeah, this is, um, it's not a, a term that's specific to our school. Um, there are other, you know, schools or even other institutions that kind of um, use this whole, it's, you know, it's a mindset, it's a, a framework, it's a um, a way of seeing the world that is real connected. It's connected to just the uh, kind of the the Hawaiian lens of being, where community is is very important. Um, the people's relationship to the land and to other people and to our environment is very essential um, to just the um, the Hawaiian mindset. And as a school, we've um, we worked with our community outside of the school and with community members over a couple of years to um, create this sustainability model. Um, and the the capstone program actually was designed in parallel. Um, but one of the things that myself and the coordinator at the high school, um, along with our administrators and leadership kind of did, um, and really all our stakeholders together, we really wanted to bring these two things together, the the independent project and the sustainability model um, as a way to, um, you know, provide students the opportunity to connect with learning outside of just the textbook or outside mm -hmm. of just um, math content or social studies content, but to do something that's kind of um, beyond those typical, you know, silos um, that you find in education. Nice. And and they're pretty young. So it's really challenging to working on, on one year on one project. And uh, so I can imagine there are a lot of questions or ups and downs or misunderstandings or changes. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, we, we try and scaffold the program for grades you know, they're going to do three projects in fifth grade and eighth grade, and then their final project at 12th grade at the end of high school. And, you know, we have to be really intentional about that progression because, you know, as we know, even as adults, when we um, initiate a project, that it takes many twists and turns, um, it evolves, it changes, things work, things don't work. And so there's lots of intentional design about making sure that students understand that, you know, these are skills, these are lifelong skills. Um, these are skills that we want them to have um, as they leave school and enter the workforce or enter the university or enter their whatever the next phase in their life is. Um, even when they go from um, fifth grade, maybe into eighth grade, or as they transition through school, we really want them to um, be reflective on what they're doing, what didn't work, uh, maybe some failures they had. And that's where the learning happens. Um, that's where um, students are able to connect with their individual skills, um, areas of growth, and um, not just focus on, you know, did the actual product um, get made? Sometimes it doesn't get made, but that's okay if they're doing um you know, they're going through a process of reflection and, um, you know, self-reflecting on um, their their skill development, then it's successful in our minds. Yeah, cool. And, you know, when, when I listen to you like this from what you do with your students 
And, you know, there are iterations, one-year iterations or even more iterations in, 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 in the project part. So that, that that's so so modern. So, yeah, companies also sh maybe should work like in uh, from year to year and make iterations and do a start. And, and I heard tomorrow is the start of the new, uh, of the new uh, grade. So the, everybody comes is coming in and, uh, and, and then trying to, yeah, to, to find their place. So the, I'm just thinking this would be maybe also beneficial for the business world to always get a reset after maybe after the, the holiday break and just to get into it. And also things like empathy, trying to understand your, your, the context and the environment of others and, and also from yourself. And also with, I also hear a little bit purpose through. So why are we doing this? Who, who are we? Who, who am I? And who are we together? So that's, um, yeah, yeah, I think we can, could uh, learn uh, a, a lot from, from, from that process. Yeah, you, you definitely um, identified two important parts of it. The empathy piece is very important. That's kind of what we start with. And I'm actually, you know, spent the last week kind of planning and co-creating with my my team about how do we um, get students to engage um, with a an empathy lens um, and how do we get them to um, design a project with purpose. And, you know, it's hard with young people. Um, yeah. Some, it comes very naturally. Some come in with a very clear passion and focus um, and others. It uh, can take a little bit of time to um, pull out what it is that maybe really um, gets them interested and motivated in the project. But um, I found that when you give students um, the space and the time and you build the trust with them to take risks and be curious and to imagine, you know, you mentioned imagination um, earlier that um, that students ha actually inside, I do believe that inside each, each young person is an idea. It's just my job to kind of um, create um, space to, to bring it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, um, but again, it's for me also the parallel to the business world, because sometimes companies, they don't even have a purpose, or they don't even have it written down. And some they already have, and they do it. And it's easy. And, and sometimes people say, Oh, yeah, now we should do that purpose thing. Otherwise, uh, people won't buy from us. So I can imagine that I, I hear so many parallels. If you take, let's say your, your, your uh, the teaching world and the school world as an yeah let's say analogy to the business world is all it, it also works um how in how, how much is there let's say listening in, in involved because um to try to understand others so um if i imagine a kid between 10 and 14 they have to listen to the teacher but that's their job because they're in school uh, but they might also listen to to others so how is listening involved and how do they yeah how do they practice yeah um that's a great question um you know we we actually we kind of call this this beginning part of the project we actually call it look, listen, and learn. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the initial um, framing we use. Um, and, you know, this this kind of a, a beginning, you know, birth, if you will, of the, of the project idea, it, it always evolves because we're always trying new things from year to year. Um, but, 
you know, when we think of listening, it's almost like one part of having all your senses activated. Um, and that's why, you know, the look, listen, and learn is, is the kind of the framing we've used. Um, but we do bring in community members to come into the school and share um, different projects that are working on. So we do ask kids to, or we ask, you know, the students to observe and, and listen to um, what people are sharing. We go out into the community and actually we have an activity where they um, walk through the park and um, we have something in Hawaii called Kilo, Kilo, Kilo. which means Kilo, K-I-L-O. And uh, it's actually a practice of observation. Mm. Um, and it's a great way to, to kind of tune the students' senses into um, seeing and hearing and feeling and smelling all the elements around you. Um, you know, what do you see? What do you notice? It's like a noticing exercise. Um, do you... So we'll take them through the park and we might do this in a couple phases where we maybe mm. have them just focus on the environments because we want them to just kind of attune themselves to maybe the wind or a certain type of tree or um, what's the sound of the wind blowing through a certain tree. Oh. Can you tell there's different types of trees by the way the wind's blowing through the trees? Um so and then we'll kind of take that experience and then we'll take it to another level and we'll have them walk around the park and ask them to identify things that um, required collaboration or community engagement. And they might come back and say, well, I noticed this bench. Um, I'm sure, you know, someone had to build it or I noticed this area, the weeds were cleared out. Um, so maybe they have like um, a volunteer group that comes on the weekend to clear it out or so on and so forth. So we use this practice of noticing kilo, this, you know, kind of noticing observation to then reattune themselves to now look at things in their community. Um, so they can start to engage with being, you know, empathetic and yeah. understanding that the world around them involves um, people designing, creating, collaborating, and in doing things, and then hopefully that kind of makes them feel a sense of you know both responsibility and maybe power or motivation to hey I can do something or maybe I want to build a bench at the park near my neighborhood and that maybe that's my project or maybe I want to you know you know whatever the project might be so that um, that. Uh, that that kilo that practice of of noticing is a, a real key part um, that we have the students go through. I like it very much because it's also multisensory. So when when I talk about listening, I yeah I don't mean only listening. It's all about all the senses, using observation, trying to to understand. Sometimes I have this in workshops when people ask me something and uh, and uh, a question that I don't know. Then I always um, fall back on my observation skills. And sometimes I'm just sharing my observation. So people ask me something and I say, oh, you know, oh, you know what I observed. And then you share it with them and they say, 
oh, hang on, I didn't see it from this way. So I, I, I love very much that multisensory because when you close your eyes, you only hear of you. And, and uh, when you're outside, you smell, you feel, but you don't talk about all these different, it's, it's one big experience that connects you with the, with the outside world. Um, and we learned already two, two new words. So Malamakayulu and Kilo. So, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this. Is there more uh, about this? So do you also teach something Hawaiian? Because your students are, um, where, where do they come from? I mean, our students, they they come from a lot of different places. Um, but are they all Hawaiian or? Um, no, not um, in the sense of like, you know, ethnically Hawaiian or yeah, yeah. of Hawaiian ancestry, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is always one, I think, confusion because <laughs> Hawaii is a state. And so, we, you know, you wouldn't say someone who is from the state of Hawaii is being Hawaiian because there's also, a, you know, there's people who are, you know, ethnically Hawaiian of Hawaiian blood. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for example, like I'm, I'm not Hawaiian, right? But I grew up here in Hawaii. Um, and so... You know these concepts and these ideas are 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 part of the host host culture here and part of the the people of Hawaii and um, it's through um, it's through the sharing of of the this knowledge and this you know we call it ike is kind of knowledge here in in Hawaii and. Um, I am just a recipient of this of this knowledge through through the, um, how it's been shared and given to me. And that's kind of um, not to go too off topic here, but I think it's important <laughs> to unpack this when we talk about these things. Cause um, I, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that it's through the Aloha. It's through the, that freely, that free giving that um, um, the people of Hawaii, of Hawaii have um, around sharing their, their knowledge, their experience, their mindset, um, that I've been able to um, understand how to share this with my own students, yeah, um, because there's um, these these concepts are are very deep and very intertwined with um, the way of life of of the Hawaiian people, mm -hmm. and through growing up here and through you know learning about these different ways, you know the the act of kilo, um, the you know, th those types of experiences have been shared with me um, and have allowed me to um, share those with my students um, who come from a wide variety of backgrounds. I mean, you have students of European ancestry, of mixed Hawaiian, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino. I mean, Hawaii is a very multicultural society. Um, and, you know, our school is unique in that it's an independent school, which, you know, is very different than the European system where, um, also known as private schools, like you have the public school system mm -hmm. and our school, you know, families pay. And in our case, they, you know, they pay a, um, a decent amount of money to send their school, uh, send their uh, child to a school, mm -hmm. um, that, um, you know, as we excel in academics and we have, you know, uh, deep, um, learning experiences and deep, deep programs like the capstone program that we offer families. Um, so our student body is a little bit um, not representative of maybe 
um, most public school populations by demographic because of the um, kind of the socioeconomic differences. Um, but part of our school's mission is to honor the traditions of Hawaii. And um, through um, a lot of place-based learning and off-campus experiences and collaborations we have with community members in our community, um, we've been able to um, kind of build up a program that has, over the years, I feel, has been much more rooted in place, people, and the culture of of Hawaii here. Mm. So it sounds like everything is really connected. And if people send out their kids to to Hawaii, maybe they do this with a purpose <laughs> to, to understand on, on one side things that you learn, learn for life, also business uh, things. Um, but on the other hand, don't forget um, that we are that we only have one planet and that we are connected also to nature and uh, yeah, like food and and uh, and everything. Sounds very good. Yeah. Um, would would people um, expect um, when they send their kids to Hawaii that they also learn a Hawaiian instrument? Um, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that was why part of why I I, I had the uh, ukulele ensemble group that I directed, and now you know the our our music teacher now. Um, does that uh, we I'll can tell discuss us more about this because um, yeah ukulele when you see some people picking up the ukulele it's always a collaborative something so people sing and sing together with others so that's a very yeah very very social instrument on mm -hmm. that part on the other hand do, do you know the ukulele ensemble of uh, now ukulele orchestra of great britain so i saw them in concert uh, once eight people on stage it's hilarious it's nice yes. it's funny it's entertaining so tell us a little bit more how the ukulele what did you do and how how are you doing this uh, uh now yeah um you know the ukulele is has a you know obviously a very special place here in hawaii and in our schools it's it's kind of the like instrument you learn and that's how i first learned uh, the ukulele um, in third grade with my um, my classroom teacher in third grade, like we'd have music class and she would get out the ukuleles and mm. we would learn the basic chords. And that was, that's pretty, that was pretty common across, you know, most schools um, in Hawaii. Okay. Um, so the whole, so the whole class, let's say 20 or 30 uh, kids and grade three, hang on, then you're seven or eight or something like this. Yeah. About, yeah, probably about eight years old is when I first learned. And she taught us just simple chords, you know, C, F, and G. And we would, you know, just sing songs together. And um, that was, that was kind of how I, I first learned. And um yeah, like I said, a lot of schools do this or through middle school. Um, ukulele is very common in schools. And um, so how I got involved with um, teaching the ukulele was actually uh, when I was, um, you know, this was about about 15 years ago now, maybe even more. Now, about 15 years ago, I was, you know, working as an ukulele performer and uh, was, you know, playing in different bands and whatnot. And um, the music teacher at the school heard about me and she needed some help with the, the ukulele program and just invited me to help, you know, teach, teach kids the ukulele. And, you know, I don't have a musical, like formal musical background. I just learned kind of in the typical Hawaiian style where 
Um, it's informal learning. Um, you learn by doing, you learn from, you know, sitting in with other players. And, you know, I, when we learned in school, it was just learning chords and by watching your friends or you'd learn during recess and whatnot. So like, I don't have formal music training and, but that was what I think really helped me, you know, thrive in this position was I just approached it with, if you gave me, you know, we had about 20 kids and they all had ukulele and I was free to just create um, arrangements kind of from scratch mm -hmm. um, for these students to play. And I just used my own kind of musical imagination and creativity to come up with um, different arrangements. I would take just songs, whether they were pop songs or um, Hawaiian and local songs and kind of arrange them. And as I started doing this over the years, I started to, you know, understand more about like arranging and, you know, melody and counter melody and rhythm and, and uh, the relationship between those. And um, I was also collaborating with teachers from other schools who had formal music training, who could, mm. you know, they, <laughs> I had to learn how to like read music and, uh, I just remember they were so patient with me teaching me like how to read the staff and understanding how to compose counter melodies. And oh, nice. I started to like really over the years kind of um, come up with my own, you know, my own uh, style, I guess. Um, and, you know, we did shows. Um, we had students playing um, Beatles songs, uh, Beach mm -hmm. Boys songs. Um oh, wow. And how many students were they? So do um, do I have to think on two or three or or twenty or thirty? No, I uh, my ensemble had about twenty to thirty. Wow! And Did we have recordings of them. There, there are, there are, there are on YouTube. <laughs> oh, YouTube! Um, oh, we, have to, we have to put them in the show notes because um, I, I really think about it. It, when you work with with uh, in in business in in workshops. So sometimes I use the ukulele just to 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 connect people. And you know that in the book I write about um, three uh, different instruments that I think mm -hmm. that's for a follower leadership, uh, let's say exercise for for any leader to at least learn one instrument it doesn't matter what and it doesn't matter how good he is but it's good that you experience that not everything that you say as a manager is just done that way it it needs some work and on the other hand it's also a, a listening uh, school listening to others and, and and getting better and maybe showing others and helping them and on the other hand getting help by others and at the very end you're doing it together so it's there is no finger pointing so i, I love the ukulele uh, in, in that part so i'm very much interested how you do this with the 20 kids uh, playing together and even the tuning sounds uh, for me <laughs> very <laughs> The very interesting uh, part in the beginning to tune 20 ukuleles. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say that you can also imagine there is a, another school that is um, we would partner with who had about 75 students in their ukulele ensemble. Ooh. And we, and we would um, um, myself and the other directors would like, um, you know, come up with music and we'd compose, we'd make the arrangements and we would independently teach our ensembles the music. And then like a couple of weeks before the concert, we would get together for rehearsals and we would bring the two groups together. So you had over a hundred kids wow. on stage playing, um, 
playing together after learning the music independently. And then we would have to kind of like, you know, <laughs> meet somewhere because maybe we would come together and we would count it off and we'd be like, oh, you're playing you know, this many beats per minute. We're playing, oh wait, you played a C minor there? Oh, we actually stayed on a C major and you'd have to like recalibrate it. You know, the the, the students were so patient with us as we would have to like, okay, uh, on measure 47, we, uh, we won't, you know, whatever, do that. But it, it, you, know, you mentioned the tuning because it's, it's this amazing experience of like, talk about making um, like, beautiful music out of chaos because when you start the experience it really does feel like chaos like you have all these ukulele and some they won't stay in tune or the kids don't know how to tune them or they start strumming and they they can't play in rhythm or you have a picking pattern that is the the melody or you come up with different transitions. And, and like, like I said, I am not a trained composer. I'm not formally trained in music. So I would sometimes have to hum things or I would have to like uh, write it out, like try and come up with ways to using a tablature notation or because I, I didn't have these, the ability to just tell the students like it's a quarter note, 16th note. Like I don't, I don't understand music that way. So and maybe they, they as well. They, and they as well, right? Because I, I, didn't <laughs> so I think they that. just understand because you hum for them. And by the way, yes. professional music musicians do the same. If I have to play something, I first go, ah, da, 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 and then you play it on the instrument. So that's listening and tuning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are cool. And, and then over time, you would kind of get to this point where the, the song starts to emerge out of this seeming chaos and it starts the kids they start to feel it and they start to get it and they feel the energy of them all contributing to this song and to this sound this one sound because that's the yeah. goal is to make it sound like one sound um and so it's it's almost like molding a, a piece of clay or like a sculpture and then once you have it you have this thing and you can you know, you can play it um, at the assembly or for uh, other students. Or then, of course, we would have a big concert um, in our theater at school where you would have an audience of, you know, 400 people and we would play it. And uh, it was just it was just such an exciting experience to um, uh, just co-create with the students. And it really... Um, it was a great entry for me into education because that was kind of my first experience with um, teaching and um, being in the classroom. And it really made me um, not um, engage in this kind of hierarchy of like, I'm the teacher and I'm way up here mm -hmm. and you're the student and you have to listen to me. It was almost like I would sometimes co-create with the students and say, do you, do you like that section there? Or should we stop on the C or what, like what doesn't sound right? And we would kind of work together to, and they had some agency and some input into what we would actually um, end up creating. And um, it really made me understand early on that um, learning can be done together with the students, that it's not just me who knows everything and who, you know, is up there on the conductor stand, you know, with the chalkboard saying, play a quarter note or repeat after me. It was like a little bit more um, 
there was more of a relationship um, and a co-creation with the students. Yeah, it's following and leading uh, at its at its best, and uh, it doesn't matter who leads and who follows. And sometimes you just realize that while you think you're leading, that you're actually following. So, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, a beautiful way to learn collaboration without telling people this is collaboration. It's just doing and just having fun. And for me, the ukulele is also, let's say, the instrument with a smile. You just put it out, and people say. Okay. And on the other hand, it's, it's also a very serious instrument. So you can play, yeah, a lot of, inst uh, yeah, a lot of decent stuff with it. And uh, I think that's why it's so easy to pick up and why it's so easy to, to also use in a, in a, in a, in a business um, environment to, to let people really experience something without that they have the idea that they're making a fool out of them, which is also a very important thing. So that um, when you have people in your workshop that there's no blaming, no shaming, no laughing, but yeah, laughing together, but not laughing about someone and that everybody's the same. And uh, um, yeah, I, I love this very much. Talking about ukulele, is it, um, it's an Hawaiian instrument, but but it came from Portugal, right? From the Carvalho, well, I forgot the name. Yeah, I mean, I might not have the pronunciation correctly, but it's actually a, a hybrid of two instruments, yeah. um, the cavaquinho and the um, rajao, I believe it's um, pronounced, or rajao, I, I, I'm not familiar with the Portuguese pronunciation. Um, but it was actually, I mean, invented in Hawaii in the sense that um, when Portuguese immigrants were bought, brought here in 1879, um, these were two you know, traditional folk instruments that traveled with um, the Portuguese immigrants from um, the Madeira Islands um, is where the first Portuguese immigrants were brought here to work in the uh, sugar plantations um, here in the islands. And they brought their instruments with them. And um, actually some of the um, the Portuguese, the Madeirans that were brought here were, were actually well known for their woodworking. Um, the Madeiran people are famous woodworkers. And so they had skill in, um, you know, instrument making and cabinet making. And they basically, as you know, some of this is oral history and some of it is documented. And, you know, some people might have different um, details to this story, but the general accepted narrative is that um, using native woods, they created an instrument that um, used this unique tuning because the unique part about the ukulele is the, the re-entrant tuning, right? Mm. My dog has fleas. Da, 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 that, da, da, that high um, string on top um, they're also known as re-entrant tuning is a very distinct, um, distinct tuning that's not used in very, most stringed instruments have a linear tuning, right? Where a guitar, if you think of a guitar, it has the lowest string at the top and it gets progressively higher, right? Or a bass guitar or even violins and cellos and whatnot. Um, so it took that re-entrant tuning from, I don't remember if it was the cavaquinho or the rajao that has that, um, but then it used the intervals of a fourth yeah. that one of the instrument, other instruments had, right? So you have a G and a C and an E and an A. So you have fourths. So it's kind of a combination of a re-entrant tuning in fourths, 
where the original Portuguese instrument had the re-entrant tuning, but it was tuned in fifths, like a, a violin yep. or a mandolin, right? Yeah. So those two elements together is what created this new instrument. Um, and yeah, that was through the you know 1880s, 1890s. Um, and in Honolulu, there's um, you can look back, and there are you know various um, business registries of these immigrants creating instrument companies in, mm. in Honolulu in the, you know, the 1880s and 1890s. Um, and even you can see their inventory of ukulele orders. And that's kind of the birth of the ukulele um, industry and the ukulele culture here in Hawaii. Um, and it was rather quickly integrated into um, the Hawaiian string bands of, of the time. There was, mm string bands that were very popular um, in Hawaii at the end of the 19th century that were typically made of, um, you know, parlor guitars from America, mandolins, um, even sometimes banjos and fiddles. Um, Banjo and also has the highest string. Uh, on top. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Um, and then, so these were the, the kind of the first string bands um, here in Hawaii. Um, but, the sound is so nice because when you play it, you always hear the uh, high sound on top. So literally on top. So yeah. just um, because you have your ukulele more or less or at, at hand, maybe maybe can you, yeah, if you want, you, uh, can you give us a little bit more of uh, the ukulele sound? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I can. I'll, I'll play something a little more rhythmic. That's maybe a little bit more typical of kind of the. Um, you know, typical ukulele uh, style. Of strings are there um these are actually mm, it's, it, it's a it's a fluorocarbon uh string ah okay that uh, it has a very very bright kind of snappy sound yeah um well, well, this, what instrument is it uh who's the, 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 the maker or maybe also question what are the most famous or what would be the best A ukulele and this was a tenor ukulele so it's not uh, a super 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 mm -hmm. small this is um Yeah, a decent instrument. Yeah. yeah, the people listening won't be able to to see what I'm holding, but it, yeah, this is what's called the tenor size of the ukulele, because um, there are, you know, there's three main sizes of the standard tuned ukulele. Um, the smallest and most typical size is called standard size, or also known as soprano ukulele, yeah. and that's like the original size. That's your your the typical ukulele you see is that's kind of smaller size. Um, then there's a concert size, which is a little bigger, a little longer uh, scale on the neck. And then what I'm playing, which is a tenor size um, ukulele, which you know, is smaller than a guitar, um, definitely. Um, but they're all tuned um, with that same GCEA, you know, Hawaiian tuning with that with the mm -hmm. high G. Um, this ukulele was built by a company um, called G-String Ukulele, named after the top the top string is G. Mm -hmm. um, but the 
the definitely the most well known um, of the ukulele makers is the Kamaka family. Yeah, and uh, Samuel Kamaka Sr. Um, was one of the original ukulele makers in the early 20th century who, um, you know, was building them after that kind of that first wave of Portuguese immigrants came here. And um, the Kamaka family, which still builds ukuleles to this day, and still many consider um, the, um, you know, kind of the Martin guitar, if you will, of ukulele making. Um, and that that's, yeah, like I said, still to this day, that's probably like the most um, well-known ukulele. Um, and that the key thing about the Hawaiian ukulele is that it's made using uh, koa wood. Yeah. And that's what this tenor ukulele and koa wood really, it's, it's, um, it is related to mahogany, um, mm -hmm. the North American mahogany, but it's, it's much brighter than mahogany is actually mahogany is known for its kind of warm tones. Um, yeah, a little bit mid, I mean, a mid range bright tone, but when you compare it to koa, it's going to be much warmer where koa is very bright. It's very loud, uh, which is key if you're playing an ukulele, which is a smaller size instrument, has a smaller box. You need something that's loud. Um, and that is also um, has that bright kind of snappy sound, um, which I can demonstrate real quick because, um, you know, I was playing a little bit more rhythmically, but there's the ukulele is also commonly played with more of a finger style mm. so you need something that has um, a little bit more attack and more um projection and um actually a shorter sustain that gives it kind of a, a distinct sound so i'll just try and make something up here i'm not i haven't warmed up or anything so i might fumble my way through a couple of things but i'll just pick a couple things to just give you a, a sense of that um, Has that that koa when you when it's finger picked and you're kind of bouncing around that is a little bit um, part of why that koa wood is is so um, desired and also why that high e, uh, g string on top because yeah. when you're picking with your thumb and your fingers it makes it real snappy and um, that's also where the the legend of the name ukulele comes from um, which would literally translate as jumping flea. Uku uh -huh. is is like a, a flea, and lele means to jump, um, and so it's kind of a legend now. But the legend is that when the fingers are moving across the fretboard and you're picking and moving, and the fingers are bouncing, it's like little fleas uh, jumping across the strings. So that's right. one kind of uh, story nice about picture, where the name. Nice picture. Yeah, the ukulele comes. Thank, thank, thank you so much. There, there's, there, there's a lot we talked. Uh, we, we talked about Hawaii, about the country. We talked about the school, about uh, the instrument uh, that brought us together in some way. <laughs> and is there anything that we didn't touch that you would like to share? Um, well, just just one last thing because I think what what really makes the ukulele special, and you mentioned it, it's that. There's a joy, there's a happiness, there is that 
instant kind of smile that the ukulele brings. Um, but and well, and not but and the the beautiful thing about the ukulele is it's so expressive and it actually has a complexity um, within this very simple design that just um, always amazes me and always brings me back to the ukulele and I'll always find new things in there. Um, and there's so many ukulele players that are just amazing on this instrument um, from Eddie Kamai to Jesse Kalima, Troy Fernandez, Peter Moon. I could go on and on. There's a lot of ukulele players that are very well known here in Hawaii that maybe aren't known throughout the world. Um, so the ukulele, it always has this two sides to it. It's this happy, fun instrument that's very approachable, yet there are musicians who have dedicated their lives to playing this instrument and developing technique that's uh, very complex and very, very difficult to master. I've spent my whole life playing the ukulele and I'm not even close. I still consider myself a beginner on the instrument. So I just just wanted to mention that as well um, to kind of um, add on to um, the story of this instrument, um, that it has that um, component to it as well. Thank you very much, Dagan. And uh, you mentioned some names. Um, I'm, I, I would like to ask you to, to send it and then I can put them in the show notes just to also to spread the word. And it's also good to share that you are also a musician that has the titles on Spotify. So we will put this all in, in, in the show notes. But if people would like to connect with you, what would be the best thing? Well, thank you. That'd be great. Yeah, um, I'm on, you know, most uh, uh, social media channels, um, Dagan Music on Instagram, my full name, Dagan Bernstein on Twitter. Um, and I love talking about music. I love talking about education um, and how those two things um, interact with each other. And uh, you can also go to my website, daganmusic.com as well. Thank you very much, Dagan. So we will put everything in the show notes so that people can connect uh, with you or reconnect if they have listened. Uh, and thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to you again and now virtual. But um, yeah, who knows? In some so some more time, we will speak again. Thank you very much, Dagan. Thank you, Christoph. It was a pleasure. Hope to do it again. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com.